0: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to episode 30 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. On today's show, we're going to be all about how the law interacts with cloud computing. So we've heard from a number of people, um, you know, how do we get smarter in this space? And as an added bonus, I'm going to try and perform a little bit of a miracle here today. I'm going to be speaking with two attorneys, lawyers who are very, very focused in this space, and I'm not going to pay $1 for any of their time or expertise. So... (laughs) Before we get started, uh, our crack legal staff here at the Cloudcast has asked me to read this disclaimer um, just so we understand that this is not uh, professional legal advice uh, so everybody needs to listen up for about 10 seconds. This Cloudcast does not represent legal advice, should not be used as a substitute for legal advice in any particular circumstances. As usual, your mileage and your company's legal analysis may vary. This Cloudcast is not intended to, and does not, Create an, uh, an attorney client relationship between any of the participants, the listeners, past, present, or future. Okay, now that that's out of the way, let me introduce today's guest. First is Adrian Mead. Um, Adrian, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I appreciate it. Um, just by way of introduction, I'm an attorney licensed and based in California, actually Southern California. And my background is as an in house counsel. And particularly as a commercial counsel transactional generalist primarily in the IT telecom industry uh, for a provider of global network connectivity and uh, more specifically my professional emphasis was on providing legal support for the global Channel Alliance go-to-market program uh, advising the business on all aspects of the full business lifecycle of channel relationships and the contracts associated therewith and related product development efforts. Uh, most recently with British Telecom and the Global Services Division. Okay. And cool. in a prior incarnation, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I worked as a forensic accountant, which is why I always end up talking about numbers and dollars and ah. it always comes back to that eventually.
0: Very cool. Fantastic. So you're going to help us bring an aspect of uh, what's the service provider's view of the world and their legal ramifications as well as how uh, their customers and enterprise and medium-sized business needs to be thinking in terms of how they interact with with large providers or small providers. Well, I sure hope so. Good. And also joining us today is uh, Deborah Salons. Deborah, uh, why don't you uh, take a second to introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Hi, my name is Deborah Salons. I'm an attorney that's also licensed in California and also in Washington, D.C., Um, I'm based in Washington, D.C. I'm also a a certified information privacy professional. My practice is focused on telecommunications, media, and new technologies, regulatory law, and since I am located in Washington, D.C., I'm very policy focused. Um, For the past five years, I worked at a K Street law firm representing wireless companies. I'm very interested now in exploring the intersection between telecommunications and tech. As well as information security and data privacy issues.
0: Okay, very very cool. So we've got I think sort of both ends of the spectrums: the, the the operators and the, the the consumers of these things, as well as um, how does policy influence this? What type of trends are we seeing around where the laws are being built? So um, I, I'm excited to have both of you on the sh- on the show today. Thanks for coming on. Let's let's start off with something just sort of at a high level. Um, you know, cloud computing is both a Uh, has an aspect of new technology to it It also has a different aspect to to business you know business operational models what's the the over kind of overarching where's the legal community uh, stance around cloud computing these days where's the current thinking in this space
2: well I can I can tell you that lawyers are not technologists they focus on the law and the business so when it comes to new technologies we either come up with creative solutions but more often than not within corporations and also as outside counsel, we're usually the no people um, to a cloud provider or a cloud customer because we see risk when the laws aren't solidified and we want to avoid liability and our clients becoming examples. But from my experience um, as a telecommunication regulatory attorney, just focusing in on cloud and the cloud um, legal education programs that I've participated in, the focus has really been on what is the cloud? I think that's a a question for both technologists and for legal professionals. But since this is new, this is like we all have to get educated a little bit on what it is. And the focus has primarily been driven with the SLA contract aspects and then the privacy and the policy stuff. So I think as attorneys, we have um, the challenge of looking to the traditional regulations for telecommunications, commerce, et cetera, and try to apply them because nothing is really cloud specific at this point. So, and on the flip side, there's no real consensus with technical standards, so it really makes it hard for the law. And the regs are not up to speed at all with the technology.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think this is, this happens. I mean, and and just to apply an analogy, even in medical ethics, for instance, they, they as we have new medical procedures and things that are capable, then the, they worry about the medical ethics haven't kept up with it. So. It, that, we've seen this kind of thing in anything. Whenever science or technology moves forward, the law, you know, echoes behind it and tries to find whatever models that might work or be applicable, and tries to apply them to that new set of, you know, circumstances and technologies.
2: Okay.
1: Um,
0: so, so, from a, so, from a from a practical matter, does that if you know, let let's say you're one of the the technologists that, that's listening to the show. From a practical matter, does that typically going to mean um, as as cloud gets more widely deployed, as it gets becomes more mainstream, you're going to run into probably a little more uh, sense of of the lawyers being a little bit conservative because they want to make sure they're they're. Doing their job and protecting their clients or protecting their uh, the people that are hiring them for business interests, but there's also going to be a, a number of gray areas until we get those sort of cornerstone cases that that really identify a problem.
1: Uh, I think you're unavoidably going to have some gray areas, but you know, hopefully, the lawyers you know aren't just the people who say no, okay. <laughs> but can also find ways to make what has gone before fit and. Maybe I'll just draw a little bit on my own background. Um, for instance, because lawyers are not technologists, sometimes we have to get, you know, be brought up to speed and 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 help to understand the technology and what it means. And I know, like for myself, just just to, for instance, I used to work on product documentation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, you know, can you imagine anything more dry, <laughs> mind-numbing <laughs> than the the product documentation that goes along with your contract that describes a product? For me, you know that, that was really dry work, and the documents themselves could be mind-numbing, but I'd always come out of that knowing the products, which were really services in the telco industry, sure. obviously. Yep. i understand it a lot better. Okay. So that's, I guess, part of it. Help your lawyers understand what it is you're doing. Okay. And I think we're also gonna have, it's gonna get a lot more interesting because, especially with cloud, we're getting a lot more consumer focus. It used to be that IT, you know, telcos large you know service providers would be there was no cost effectiveness or very little cost effectiveness to do it down to a consumer level you were pretty much all b2b for anything that was of any size okay but as cloud is coming we're going to end up having a lot more b2c so it's going to have to get it's going to have to get shaken out and there's probably going to have to be some standards in place because you've got consumer protection issues now
0: okay. that are going to interplay i hope okay. that answered your question yeah, no, no, that, that's good. And, it, and it, you know, what, what I'm, I'm hoping to do with this show, and obviously uh, the, the law can either be a very uh, heavy topic or it could go in a lot of directions, is just to make sure we, we talk about sort of the, the, main care, the main kind of top of mind things, you know, help, help people kind of get going in the right direction, give them a sense of like where are the major pitfalls, where are the areas that are still very gray. So yeah, uh, you know, this, this sort of insight, I think, is, is very, very good. Um, so let me let me jump into something that uh, is a little bit top of mind for people, but I think it's a it's an instance where people are kind of unsure. So you know, one of the questions that always comes up, um, whether it's people that are looking to implement cloud technology, and in many cases they're they're a, they're a private company looking to leverage a public service. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty or questions about you know what happens what rights do various governments have not just say the US government but other government agencies what do they have what rights do they have to data that's that's stored in a public service whether that's a a, a, an Amazon service a Google service a you know Verizon or AT you know carrier telco type of service what what are the what are the main laws to sort of or the main guidance that, that people need to be aware
2: of Sure, this is a huge concern for service providers and enterprise both. The question that I always hear is, once I put information in the cloud, what rights does the government have to search it, or any government for that matter? Right. There are significant issues regarding privacy of data and data security, specifically as they relate to personally identifiable information as well as confidential business information. So you're looking at a broad array of um, different types of data and different concerns generally you know with the US government there's the search warrant subpoenas court orders the e-discovery compliance issues and privacy laws generally provide that companies with personal information must disclose that information when, when required to do so by a valid court order or subpoena now there are also specific concerns about the United States federal government's right to data stored in the cloud and I think this is a concern not only of American companies but also International companies trying to do work with American companies, and that's the U.S. Patriot Act. And just to give everyone a little bit of background as to what that is, um, the U.S. Patriot Act actually stands for United, uniting and strengthening America by providing tools required to intercept and obstruct terrorism. Act um, that was passed in 2001 as a reaction to 9/11. It has significant implications for the cloud provider. It acts. The act allows the um, installation of devices to record all routing, addressing, and signaling information kept by a computer, which is the rough equivalent of a computer tap, and um, it extends the U.S. government's ability to gain financial and student information even without the suspicion of wrongdoing of those individuals, so the only requirement is governmental certification that the information obtained would be relevant to an ongoing criminal investigation. So, cloud providers may find themselves in a position to hand this information over, and the cloud user or the cloud customer may have very little recourse. Um, uh, Deborah, I'm sorry, sorry. I
1: I just wanted to ask one little question here. Now when you're talking about the Patriot Act, is this only apply in cross-border or could it be
2: even domestic within the U.S.? I believe it's domestic. I believe it, it reaches any U.S. company.
1: So, I mean, we had heard uh, uh, some years ago about that the, the uh, federal government was tapping cross-border telecommunications, was listening in on your phone calls. I remember at the time I was involved in a lot of cross-border phone calls, and we would start each conference call with, hi, you know, uh, the people listening in. And <laughs> so, um, so I, that was, I just wanted to make a point of clarity, because this is not just cross-border this just no. isn't just international this is even domestic i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought there so
2: right no. i believe that it's both domestic and cross border when it involves a us company
0: let me let me ask a follow up then to the you know sort of the government agencies and and what rights they have um, there was a, a fairly high-profile case or, or a high media visibility case in the last couple of weeks, a company called Mega Upload. Uh, they, were, they were put in place to sort of, uh, similar to what YouTube did originally, which was, you know, make it easier to share large files. In many cases, these were media files and movies or videos or whatever. Um, you know, the the, the the FBI, the CIA got involved, uh, made a determination that this company was, uh, some of the what they had was... Uh, was pirated information, you know, pirated movies, pirated... And, and obviously there's a visibility to try and crack down on, on piracy. But the... So that aside, there was some interesting byproducts of this, one of which the service got shut down. The second was um, it was at least initially stated that, well, the information resides on um, provider, you know, uh, third-party service provider's infrastructure, um, and, and that would all be destroyed. And it, so, it sort of brought up this interesting of, like, well, who, who do, as a, as a consumer, as a customer or business, who do I really have my contract with? So if you're a, my question then is, if I'm a, if I'm a customer, um, wh- wh- what are the sort of key things I'm looking for in my contracts, my SLAs, um, to, bet- to really understand who, who's my contract with, and, and what dependencies are there maybe behind that contract? Is that is that typically clear in these contracts, or not so clear?
1: Um. I'm sorry. I'm jumping in here because it, you mentioned contracts. <laughs>
0: so, yeah,
2: I, I was just going to you, Adrian.
1: <laughs> okay, um, I'm trying to understand the question a little bit better because um, when you're saying, and it'll just help me from my perspective. So, well, if I'm a customer, or you're saying if I'm a service well, provider, yeah. Let, 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 a, let me
0: let me put some like names to this. So, um, okay. so so business A is a you know they they make something right they they make automobiles for example right so let's let's suppose like Ford Motor was using um, this third-party service um, that was you know basically a file hosting service because they were going to use it to to send around all of their um, uh, car uh, just you know um, diagrams to marketing agencies or whatever but they're, they're really big so they're using this third-party service and they have global uh, companies they work with but the the company that that hosts the service is actually resides on top of British Telecom or Savis or at and and somehow it gets determined that that, that service, that middle middleman service, is has some aspect of what they do that's illegal, right? Similar to what happened to uh Mega Upload. Who who's, who's Ford's relationship with then? Because the the assets that hold the the data are are owned by the service provider. They're sort of rented by this middle service. Does that? How does that work from a legal perspective? Well,
1: obviously, if Ford is signing a contract, they should hopefully know who they're signing that contract with. Right. I think what you're trying to say is, what does extend to third parties, well, and what rights do you have, yeah, third parties? I guess. Yeah, because,
0: well, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, cloud starts to because of the way that we can overlay services on top of other services, right? So there's maybe an infrastructure service, but there's a an application service that can live on top of that, and they might be owned by different entities. Who's who's my contract with, and does that always align to, to the technology that's underneath it?
1: Is well, that- I, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You end up having to unravel this, right? Yeah, you have to exactly. unravel the technology, and you have to make sense of it. And, I mean, whoever you have contracted with, obviously, you know, who Ford or whoever has contracted with, um, and you, you cited off some big names in the in the <laughs> service provider space, yeah. they would have an agreement with that. Now, to the extent that a third party has also become involved there, you know, it gets messy. Your first recourse and direct recourse is against whoever you have the direct contract with. That's privity sure. of contract, right? Okay. Um, to the extent that there's a third party, um, you know, you would you would try to reach to the third party and you would you know, if there's some subcontracting issue, you would try to put that in your contract that if there is a subcontract that's a concern for when you're doing your contract saying that if any of this is subcontracted out, we are also involved with that. We you know, we also have the right to to, to act against you know, this third subcontracting party or your or the the carrier would say, you know, have to take responsibility. For any third, third-party subcontractors.
0: Okay, so so there's. there's I, I'm
1: not sure if we're comp- if I'm completely answering your question. No, no,
0: no. <laughs> I, mean, I I think what you're, I think what you, you, you know, we keep, we're gonna, I think we're probably going really to keep coming back to sort of common themes, which is, um, that. The technology, you know, the, the, the types of new technology that exist with with cloud computing, whether it's virtualization technology, which sort of abstracts sort of distinct things that we used to be able to point to before, or it's uh, you know layered types of services or over the top types of services, it, it's really incumbent upon. Um, the technologists, the IT organizations, to, to have a dialogue, an ongoing dialogue, probably with the legal departments to, to, start, to start to help them understand that the world's different um, as we're negotiating contracts, as we're intera- you know, trying to protect ourselves. Like, we need to be thinking, okay, maybe it's not as cut and dry as it was five or six years ago when you'd go, my relationship is with this company, and and you don't have to sort of go, but, but let's make sure that, you know, what are their dependencies behind the scenes, which maybe we didn't have in the past?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you want to, I mean, what you end up having is that you may have to take action or do, you know, or make an issue, raise issue either formally, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully informally with your carrier, and you, you make the issue if there's a contract dispute or some kind of an issue or outage or whatever it is you make that issue with your carrier okay then hopefully your carrier will reach back to whoever has is also become involved because how did these other people get involved who brought them in somebody brought them in right, right. these other these so yeah the web get the web the web gets Tangled, right. So it, it is. And it is important. And I, I really like your comment about making sure you bring the legal people in. Okay. Make sure you keep them advised, because I think that's absolutely tea. And it's very true, because there's a lot more that the legal department can do to try and protect this and and prevention sometimes is, you know, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Um, The more you know and more proactive you can be, the more help your legal department can be. Also, if I can just kind of touch back on something else that um, Deborah was talking about, when Mm -hmm. you were talking about government seizure of of data and Mm -hmm. um, of records, if if anything like that happens, if any carrier, any provider has any kind of a court order or anything like that ever served on them, you would want to tell your legal department right away. Even if it looks really official and it's the government and it's all this there may be, you may have a contractual obligation to Mm -hmm. oppose the discovery under that court order. I mean a search warrant usually you can't do much about, but you have to make sure you're looking at a search warrant and not some lesser court order where you may be able to have a motion to, um, you know, to to oppose that order for discovery. So there's there's all different degrees of uh, dire, (laughs) how dire something is, so that would be something else you want to make sure you get your legal department.
0: No. Let me ask. A, let me ask a follow-up to this, and and you know throughout the, I'll I'll sort of uh, caveat this to anybody listening. You know some of these questions may maybe, you guys don't have answers with immediately. So so I'll, I'll sort of try and keep them simple. So let's suppose. Um, uh, let, let's take a carrier example again. Um, that carrier gets subpoenaed. They get a search warrant um, on behalf of one of their clients. So they've got a hundred clients, and and the the government comes. With a concern on behalf of one of their clients, do they have any obligation to the other, say, 99 clients to let them know that um, they've they've received? You know, they could be completely anonymous about it, but they've received some sort of um, some sort of warrant. And and the reason I ask that is if I'm a if I'm one of the other 99 customers and I know that okay, um, somebody has uh, placed a search warrant on them. There's there is at least some percentage chance that. Um, there could be some ramifications maybe there's an action you can take to back up your data somewhere else find a secondary type of uh, at least uh, plan b is there any obligation for that provider to to notify their other clients that something may may eventually happen
1: well uh, i'll take that from my perspective i i can't imagine that any sophisticated buyer Mm -hmm. of any kind of services wouldn't ask for something like that in their contract to say in other words you know, basically, you have a confidentiality. You know, you can't give my records to anybody. My data is my data. Right. Nobody touches it. Right. And especially in the carrier world, where you argue that you're just providing a pipe. Now that gets a lot blurrier in a cloud context, obviously. Right. But um, <laughs> blurrier. Uh, so in the instance where you've got a carrier who's providing a pipe, and it's really clear, it's my data. Nobody else's. You can't touch my data. In that instance, you'd have a confidentiality clause, an incident to a confidentiality clause. It's usually you cannot share this with anybody except pursuant to a valid court order. But there's also usually a clause in there that says, and if you receive a court order, you have to promptly let us know and give us an opportunity to oppose the court order. Because okay. I mean, we may have valid actions. So even if it's affecting someone else, even if I'm not the party that the court order is about, if you're, if you're gonna provide data you're going to violate my confidentiality clause, I you know, gotcha. if you're providing someone else's data, mine gets caught up, so you're probably contractually, typically, that's a typical clause in most contracts, that you're probably contractually obligated to let me know, so I can oppose it as well, okay. um, you know, you, and I think you may be heading towards something that's in the news, <laughs> some instances that have happened recently.
0: Yeah, no, not necessarily. I mean, to some extent, I'm, to some extent, and I'm not trying to point out or call out anybody. I'm to some extent, I I'm just sort of asking questions because obviously, um, you know, the bulk of, of the listeners to this show are, are technologists, they're IT managers, they're probably not. Getting into all the details of negotiating contracts and but it's it's helpful again for them to know sort of the other side of the fence and so that, that that's the reason for the question, um, not so much as a leading as a leading okay. question now um, so Deb, I, I want to come back to you a little bit around policy things, so we talked about the Patriot Act. Um, right. I know at one point you and I had a you know kind of offline conversation where you you mentioned there's some other things, there's some other policies that are coming down the road or may have just recently come out around europe. can you Can you talk about what some of the trends are outside the us that you're at least keeping your eye on that people should be you know cognizant of?
2: Sure. Um, the EU is a great example of um, something that everyone in America should have their eye on. The EU in general has a different perspective and has a higher value of data privacy than the American law has. So Ameri- or European law looks at the treatment of privacy and the protection of personal information as a human right. So this bleeds into cloud computing, right? Because you, you're holding information typically of people. Okay. Um, and the EU considers American privacy laws not strong enough. Okay. The EU says that the US laws have to provide or excuse me, do not provide an adequate level of privacy protection. And in order for U.S. businesses to do work with the EU, in um, and, and, and a business that holds any kind of data, they require a separate safe harbor certification, um, which is a program that's been coordinated between the EU parliament and the U.S. Commerce Department. Okay. That being said, the EU has this 1995 privacy directive, and what it is is basically... Um, I'm trying to translate this into non-lawyer speak. But as Adrian and I know, it's kind of like a model rules. It's a, it's an example as to what every single country needs to follow. And then each country makes its own rules using um, the directive as kind of like a baseline. Okay. And um, just this last week, the EU, well, we've known that this has been coming down the pike, but they have been planning on revising those laws. And so this last week, they made some announcements as to what was going to happen um, and how they're they're planning on revising those laws and um, reforms the reforms that were announced is that basically they're trying to attempt to harmonize the rules across the EU okay. so um that the, the member countries would have something fairly similar the way that it, it works now is that there is the EU data protection privacy directive and each country has their own data protection authority um, and so this would still, I think this would still be in place, but it sounds like they're trying to make the rules a little bit more, um, you know, in harmony throughout all the countries. Uh, some of the things that have been mentioned also is like a data breach must be reported as soon as possible within 24 hours, so that's a little bit different. Um, there's a requirement in the public sector for large enterprises to appoint a data protection officer. and. Um, you know, overall, it increases the rights of individuals and supervisory authorities that will most likely, and that, that itself will most likely complicate American cloud business in the EU or the retention of information of EU citizens because, you know, once you have some business that bleeds into this, that has data of EU citizens or even you have a server in the EU, you're going to be subject to these regulations. Okay. And um, what's very interesting is that a lot of EU companies are now hesitant to work with American cloud um, providers because of the U.S. Patriot Act, because if you're an American company, then um, any of that data that you that you have that has to do with European citizens or a company or what have you you're an American company, you're subject to the US Patriot Act, and the Europeans don't like the fact that the American government can just go in and look at the information.
0: Sure, so, sure.
2: so there is a big conflict of laws there, and I think that that might in the future affect um, business with American cloud companies.
1: Okay. Yeah, and it sounds exactly from what Deborah's saying. In order to comply with the EU directives, you 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 end up violating the Patriot Act or vice versa in order to comply with the Patriot Act you violate EU so oh, EU wow. so okay. it, it, that's possible what could happen it's a possible okay. scenario
0: so it's it's um you know the, the I guess the immediate thing that jumps to to mind on that for me is um if you know if If the world was as simple as you could sort of say, "Well, this is where I do business, and these are the laws, this is where I do business, and this is the laws, um, maybe not such a big deal but but the way the internet 's evolved, the way that cloud sort of services are involved they 've become not just one service you don 't just go to one you know one site on the web you know when you when you go to somewhere on the web or you use a service, it actually is typically a kind of a conglomeration of a lot of different things coming together. Um, it 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 may make it very very interesting if um, we're now sort of restricted by you know where does where does data come from? Can I actually build services across the internet? But I have to go back to thinking geographically again about you know am I in violation of laws or am I not in violation of laws? Um, which. I understand. The, I understand the, the the reasoning for for having the laws in place, but yeah, it's um, it's going to make make things very very complicated as we get to a more interconnected type of world, or at least even interconnected types of services. Um, I,
2: I, it's full employment for lawyers.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> there you
2: go. right. And just to, and just to add on to that, there are specific countries. Like for for instance, Germany is very protective of its of its information. In fact, I don't think that you can. Ha- Legally store information from a German company outside of Germany. So it's, you know, you have to also look country by country on top of the EU. And then there's also other um, policies with like Canada, APAC, Latin American countries. You know, they've got all their own standards and laws and their special nuances and whatnot. So the internet being such a global community and a global um, industry, it, it starts. These types of things start creating boundaries, which is very interesting from an right. infrastructure perspective.
0: Right. So obviously, it's very, very critical for um, both technologists, but also for the the legal um, the legal professionals to have some sense of where is my data located. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's there's obviously there's there's technologies these days that can sort of represent it as as if it's in location A, but it's really in location B. So it's 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 critical for people to really have a sense of where it's located um, if not so much from the technology perspective but to make sure that they're they're in compliance or if they're they're moving things around that they they realize the differences between the the geographies of where their information is so um, let me ask it let me ask a question I guess from a uh, sort of lawsuit perspective or a you know um, precedent perspective so you know um, providers from time to time have outages or services go down that people are dependent upon and and typically um, you know uh, there's there's ways to have recourse around that sometimes it's around SLAs but but SLAs tend to be about um, recouping cost of the the lost service so X number of hours or X number of whatever have there been any precedents that that either one of you aware of where somebody has been able to um, to go after one of the cloud providers and, and Try and claim that they lost X amount of business because that was down, or is are we into that space yet from a legal perspective? Does it make sense?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know that there's a successful precedence, but I am. I can promise you that people are trying. Okay. Um, You know, there have been some significant outages. I mean, Heartland Payment Systems was a big one. Um, You know, we've had some other even more recent ones, and you know, there have been settlements. On these cases, right? Okay. So settlements generally are confidential. We don't sure. know what ha- we don't know all the details, and so you know. But if there's settlements, that means the, the plane of Spar is getting aggressive, and I think it it goes back to what I was saying earlier about you know when we get B to C versus B to B. In the B to B world, you've got two, at least the the concept is you've got two sophisticated parties negotiating, right? Yep. So you've got you know the SLA is the sole and exclusive remedy. And so you, you get your recovery under the SLA. As we get into more and more uh, customer contracts or consumer contracts, we get B to C, and then there's going to be more co- issues around consumer protection, and we're going to end up having more and more um, issues there of, of of well, what you know, what were the consequences of this? Um, you know, like I said, precedents are tricky, but generally in your contracts, and they're going to even when you have, even as it is as now, if you're uh, signing, you do something like a EULA, uh, a license agreement. You click, yep. click the terms. You click through and agree to the terms. In there, you're agreeing to limit, you know, the other party's liability, and you're agreeing to limiting damages. Um, what what you're talking about, the lost business, is something that's called consequential damages or indirect damages. Yes. Which the you know, any carrier contract, anyone in this space is going to be telling you, you know, is going to be writing contracts that limit or exclude consequential damages. The, the notion of consequential damages, I'll give you a, uh, a definition from Black's Law Dictionary. Um, the consequential damages are those injuries or losses which are a result of an act, but are not direct and immediate. Isn't that nice? Indirect is not direct. Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> that's very clear. Consequential damages resulting from a seller's breach of contract include any loss resulting from general or particular requirements and needs of which the seller at the time of contracting had reason to know and which could reasonably be prevented by cover or otherwise, an injury to person or property proximately resulting from any breach of warranty. So basically, you know, if you could have seen, if it was foreseeable, that's a consequential damage, but most contracts exclude them okay so that's so you know we're trying you know in order to be able to profitably provide services Yep. the service providers have put this in sort of a self-preservation it, i wouldn't be surprised if some of this you know if this is what they're asking for in some of these cases and in some instances they're getting it um you've also got the issue where they there's a, a limitation of liability and they try to waive you know there's a liability waiver and they try to li- you know, waive liability for all kinds of things. And they'll they'll try to waive liability for, you know, everything <laughs> that happens. Sure, sure. But typically, you know, gross negligence and intentional acts cannot be effectively waived by contract. The courts kind of okay. don't like that. So yeah. you end up having to have what you'd have to show to get past that sort of, we don't give consequential damages and we have limit our liability. To get past that, you kind of have to say gross negligence. Okay. And gross negligence would be the, uh, I'm giving you another legal de- definition here, the intentional failure to perform a manifest duty in reckless disregard of the consequences affecting the life or property of another. Okay. So it's a materially more want of care than constitutes simple inadvertence, right? You, I think you can have a pretty hard time saying that some carrier was grossly negligent, just as, as a point of fact. Okay. I mean, how much, how big do they have to foul up? <laughs> to be gotcha. to get to that, I mean, the fact is, service services have in, in some inherent glitches that yep. you can't say that the connectivity and these things are going to be perfect all the time. And it goes to kind of an industry standard. And the nearest um, the nearest analogy I could give you is sort of with the medical in, in a doctor's office. You know, right. the, you can go to the best doctor, the best trained doctor. They can observe. All of the form everything they're supposed to do. But in that waiver that you sign before you go in for surgery, they tell you, you know, you could die still.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. I mean, to, to some extent, and, I, and I, I get where you're going with this. I mean, to some extent, you're, um, especially uh, with, with the relationship you have with, with certain providers. I mean, there's a certain thing that you don't want to say, which is, look, we do the best we can to make sure the service is always available, but um, wink, wink, nod, nod, sometimes things break, right? We do the best to make them highly available. We make do the best we can to make sure they never go down, but, you know, occasionally things happen, they go down, and you know the white elephant in the room is every every person who works on on either side of the technology we know these things happen software bugs happen hardware fails power goes out um and and you know people satellites wobble satellites (laughs) wobble yeah (laughs) things happen and and, and you you know the, the reality is um you need to you need to sort of plan for that just like you planned for it when you owned the assets you ran the service you and and you have to figure out what's my tolerance for uh, for outage, and then balance that against the cost of whatever additional steps you need to take to make sure that those don't happen as frequently, or they're you know they're they're less impactful as they might be otherwise. So okay, yeah, so, that, so exactly. So that, so well, I just want to add some failure.
2: I want to yeah. add something to that um, in regards to like SLAs and SLA repayment. Mm-hmm. The SLA provides the contractually agreed to level of performance for certain aspects of the service, yep. but SLAs are not required under a law, and for the most part, there's no. Law requiring the use of SLAs. So when you look at it, SLAs were born out of the business need um, that out, like for instance, that outsourcing service providers faced long before cloud computing. They were used as customers were asking for certain levels of contractual levels of quality. So I guess my point is, you know, SLAs are contractual creations born out of a contract, not the law. So cloud okay. providers have no requirement to use SLAs or police them. So I expect um, that this area of the law the recuperation of lost business outside of SLA repayment it's probably going to develop further as time goes on
0: okay so so what you're saying is that in essence it started as a as a business differentiation a competitive differentiation and and it, but it wasn't it wasn't founded in law it wasn't grounded in law so there's there's room for that to evolve or change or or go somewhere else
2: that's that's my understanding
1: adrian okay. mm-hmm. yeah it's it's to? it's grounded in contract law so it's 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 Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's a protection mechanism. They're, well, they're, it's protection, but it's also, um, it goes back to the other thing about, you know, industry standards. What, what are your industry standards? And, I mean, in SLA, in order to even offer an SLA, a carrier or a provider has to, they have to do some kind of testing on their network. They have to be sort of up to speed and watching and knowing what their network is doing, right? right you, can't, gonna- you can't even offer an SLA unless you're sort of paying attention and you're monitoring it and policing it somehow right, so right. it is you know it does go both ways right it's 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 our it's this the carrier's offer to the customer that yes we're staying on top of things, and it's what the customer gets in case something goes like it's not supposed to, but it's our way of it's the um I'm sorry our way I'm going back to my um <laughs> <laughs> my, my former in house role um it's the carrier's way of saying you know here's what we will do, and that the way of, of, of making the contractual agreement, saying you know, this is the standard we will live up to, and it goes back to where I think you know, going back to the uh, mal the doctor you know malpractice thing, you can't you can't make a successful claim against malpractice against a doctor unless you say they were below the standard of care in that industry. Gotcha. And so I think SLAs are going to start to be part of the evidence, <laughs> the the b- basket of evidence, and that kind of thing to establish. Well, what is standard in the industry? Right. And I mean, right. we don't have we don't have people who are licensed uh, cloud providers <laughs> like we have licensed doctors and licensed lawyers. Right. But we're going to get to very something I think very similar to a professional standard of care. Okay. Kind of thing is going I think going to have to develop. I think courts are going to strive to because it's something they're familiar with in this other um, avenue. So they're going to look to apply it here.
0: Okay. And it just S- makes sense. Okay. So, uh, you know, we've 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 talked about kind of the the gap between, you know, the, the way the legal profession thinks about these things, uh, it's obviously from a protection and from a, you know, basis and rules versus what the technology world thinks of. So there's obviously a, an opportunity for some education there, for some sort of maybe connecting the dots. We talked a little bit about both U.S. policy and, and European policy, the difference between them. Uh, obviously people should be uh, aware of what they look like, kind of have some sense of what they may evolve to, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about how to protect yourself. What what ramifications are kind of standard? But let me ask just to to wrap this up, and I'll throw it out to both of you. Sort of last question. You know, what's the if if you were talking to a room of people, and and for the most part, you were sort of talking to technologists, but you were saying, look, this is what you need to be aware of. This is what you need to be cognizant about. Um, what's the what's that one thing that they all sort of forget or really just don't? It's never. F- top of mind for them, but but is really important from a legal perspective. We're, what's that we don't know what we don't know thing <laughs> that you hear the most?
1: Yeah, we we don't know what we don't know? Are we are we channeling Donald Rumsfeld? <laughs> well, you have the known unknowns, and then you have... The- right. Um, I, I think what... I'm, I'm trying to, to get my head around this, but I think the, the best thing I can think of... Well, aside from what I was just saying about the professional liability... Stand, professional standards of care, yeah. which I think is going to become the norm I mean it, it isn't really completely officially there yet but it's hard to imagine us not going towards that kind of thing um, and like I said again especially as there's more b2c but also that an area that's growing is insurance okay. and that you know data breach data kinds of insurance um, you know for one thing consider a data data breach plan before you have a, a, a breach Okay. put a plan in place if you're going to have a data breach what will you do if it happens cuz what is it the old saying you know there's only people who there's only two kinds of people those who've been hacked and those who will be you know so, right okay yeah you know, so so figure out if, if if the worst happens how are you going to deal with it just so you've got sort of the, it's kind of like if you'd have any other kind of disaster recovery right you'd want to okay. have this kind of disaster recovery and then also look into insurance because at some point you can spend more on security and try to apply more you know when we think of typical, you know, security in, in the cloud space, you know, the security thinkers, we can get them right. involved as much as possible, but at some point you get diminishing returns. You can spend four times more on your security, but you're maybe not four times as secure. I got gotcha. you. So, figure out with the cost benefit, and then you can say, maybe we can get some insurance for where where there might be a gap. Okay. You know, banks haven't, banks are insured. <laughs> so, if this is a growing area. I mean, it, I don't know that it's going to be cheap insurance, but... Okay. It's uh, a possible well, safety net. Yeah.
0: Okay. What else?
2: Um, I, I think I'd have two things to share. I think one is um, some one legal like one of the legal concerns that a technologist might not think of because they're very thinking of in the now and what's yep. going on with technology, but also think about keeping access to the data in the long term. And I think in the legal community, we're kind of looking at this like, well, what if the service provider files for bankruptcy or what if they merge or they're acquired or what if they cease to do business? You know, what happens with all that data? What happens to your concept of business? Um, and I don't, I don't think the, the lawyers have answers to that yet, but that's something to just kind of keep an eye out for, okay, uh, for correct. a long-term business. And, I, and another thing... Um, Just coming from Washington, the best advice I think I could give anyone in in the industry is really keep an eye on the developments in Washington because cloud is, like I said before, uh, the laws kind of lag behind the technology immensely, but I I know that the FCC, the FTC, commerce, um, you know, with the new EU privacy directive, cloud is now becoming a topic here in this town and you don't want to be developing a product or an infrastructure that's going against the policy trends because when the regulations finally get passed you might not have any way to be grandfathered or to even use your technology so it's really good to keep an eye out as to what's going on here and then um, companies also need to get in the game so if you have a company that has some kind of a product that might be um, implicated by some kind of policy here in washington get some representation get some lobbyists and and start making some noise about the issue Okay, and, and I
1: would agree completely with that. And also, you can say just even recently, getting making noise and just even stopping SOPA, you know, but, which right. may come back. But you're, yeah. I totally agree with what Deborah's saying there.
0: Okay, it, well, very get good. And the game. Excellent. Well, uh, ladies, this has been uh, really, really fascinating. I think we we probably could could cover these topics for you know hours on end. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the folks that listen into this learned a little bit. They've got a few places to go. Get themselves educated some more. But thank you so much for your time. Um, I'll, I'll sort of uh, quickly summarize the disclaimer we had at the beginning again. Um, this wasn't intended to be official legal advice. Uh, this shouldn't be taken as official legal advice. This is just sort of uh, topics of discussion from some folks that live in the legal profession. So uh, don't sue us, don't sue them, don't take this as, as word of law. Um, thank you so much uh, to both Adrian and Deb for being on the show today. Um, we're out of time for the week. Um, for folks of, uh, who are listening to the show, you can follow us. Us on twitter at the cloudcast or obviously on the web at thecloudcast.net uh, you'll find links to the show you can send us a comment or email and you can find all the details about how to um, get the show either on itunes or on stitcher so uh, for deb and for adrian thanks to everybody for listening and have a great weekend <laughs>